Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to ask a pharmacist about getting naloxone for their first aid kits at home or work. No prescription is needed. Naloxone can rapidly reverse an opioid overdose and restore breathing. Opioidresponse.info. It's a brand new week on Political Rewind. We're so happy to have all of you with us for uh, today's program. And I want to say... It's really been gratifying to all of us on the team, Sam, Tom, me, Jesse, that so many of you have been uh, enthusiastic about our 9 a.m. start time, uh, which we began last Monday. A lot of you have said it's a better time for you to listen to us. Remember that when the impeachment trial is over with, uh, we'll be on at 9 a.m. and then the show will repeat at 2. So you'll have two different opportunities to listen to the show. But so far, we've been really happy with the response we've gotten to your uh, 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 hearing the show now in the morning. All right. Got a lot to talk about today. So let me get right to it. First of all, Jim Galloway is up in the far reaches of West Cobb County uh, this morning because he has to get up really early to put out the jolt, which you can read on AJC.com with all of the latest news about what's happened in politics since the day before. You read them on Wednesdays and Sundays in the AJC. And uh, Jim, thank you. I know you got the jolt out, especially early today, so you could be here for the show. Well, you had to have something to talk about, you know? Yeah, that's it. And you did give us items that we will talk about during uh, the show today. Dr. Audrey Haynes, professor of political science at the University of Georgia, is with us as well today. Made the long drive in from Athens, this time in rush hour traffic. Yes, I did. Okay, thank you for doing that. (laughs) You're welcome. Audrey runs the Applied Political Science Program, which trains uh, students to go into jobs in political science. Audrey, I continue to wear one of your one of a number of your applied political science t-shirts when I work out every morning. So thank you for that. Thank you. That makes us very proud. Very proud indeed. <laughs> Representative Darshan Kendrick is with us as well. She, of course, is a Democrat uh, in Lithonia. Give us, because representatives and senators always do it better than I do. I know you're based in Lithonia. How big is your district around Lithonia? Um, so I have about 40% of my district in DeKalb County, Lithonia, Stone Mountain, but it runs down 124, goes all the way to Logieville into Gwinnett County. Wow. So we have unincorporated Snailville. Thank you for coming back. I want to make a quick on-air apology to you. It's been a while since you've been here. The last time you were here... Apparently, and I never do this intentionally, but people uh, did say to me that I cut you off a few times, <laughs> and I never mean to do that. And so I said this to you already privately, but publicly, I say, I, I am sorry. My goal is just to keep the conversation flowing, never to cut somebody off. Well, so thank I you. apologize I appreciate publicly. That. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, Chip Lake is here. Chip Lake, a longtime Georgia political consultant, does work around the Southeast was for uh, almost a year the chief of staff for Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan. Thank goodness you're in a new place in life because we've really missed having you on the show. You were here once since that job, and I'm glad you're back again today. Happy to be back. Thanks for having me, Bill. Uh, Looking for uh, clients? Are you, uh, you know, talking to people you're going to represent in the 2020 cycle? Absolutely. I sure am. And uh, there should be some announcements come hopefully forthcoming over uh, uh, one candidate that I hope to be working with if that candidate decides to run for public office. So uh, uh, certainly happy to be back in the private sector and happy to be back on Political Rewind. I'm glad. I'm glad you're here. All right. Let's get right to the news that broke last night. Um, My phone lit up last night. My wife and I were out seeing a show at Eddie's Attic, and I just couldn't get away from text messages, emails. Mm -hmm. Ted Terry, Mayor Ted, uh, the mayor of Clarkston, who got into the uh, Senate race number one, the race for David Perdue's seat, decided that it just wasn't a race that he could continue to make He dropped out of that race and now is going to run for what is going to be an open seat on the DeKalb County Commission. Uh, Ted Terry joins us by telephone for just a couple of minutes today. Ted, thanks for being on the show. I want to get everybody in the mix, but let me start with one quick question. Is it your fundraising was lagging? And you cite that in the statement you gave as a major reason you decided that this just wasn't your time. Is that fair to say? 
Yeah, thanks, thanks, Bill, and greetings from uh, Clarkston, the most ethnically diverse square mile in America uh, in DeKalb County. Um, but yeah, look, uh, Darshan and I are fond of saying that it takes coal to run a train, but it takes gold to run a campaign. And uh, this year is that statement is more true than ever. And uh, you know, it's going to take millions uh, to win not just a primary but a, a general election race. And you know, look, I'm a small town mayor, Bill, and uh, while I feel really good about where we started in July with just a few thousand people on my email list. Um, seven months later, growing it to 100,000 active participants, uh, 5,000 individual donations, 2,500 uh, signed up volunteers. Um, it was clear it just wasn't going to be enough to get us all the way hey, to hey, uh, May 19th. Hey, Jim, uh, you, I know you're going to want to ask questions, but it, without meaning this in any way as an insult to uh, Ted, because he's established quite a career for himself. There was something quixotic about his bid for the Senate to begin with. He is a small town mayor. Uh, he was, he's a millennial, he's young uh, seeking this job. And, and so we all watched with interest, but I'm not sure we ever thought that Ted was going to be able to get to the finish line. Well, I think the, the most intriguing uh, uh, aspect of, 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 of Mayor Ted, Ted's candidacy, was that he was in this this portion of DeKalb County that was changing so rapidly yeah. from 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 Republican to Democrat, and he was kind of at the he's been he is he remains at the cutting edge of that. Uh, 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 Ted, my, my question for you is 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 uh, you're what late thirties, early forties? You you have plenty of time, do you not? Uh, that's right. I'm 36. I'm I'm, an, I'm what's known as an elder millennial, Jim. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm still on the young side. <laughs> Darshan is pointing to herself, saying she's 36 uh, as well. Um, Audrey, what is? Well, no, Ted. Before that, you indicated in your statement, or, or perhaps in an interview, that you haven't decided at this point if you're going to endorse someone, but you certainly left the door open for that. Where, where do you stand on the possibility of endorsing? And do you have a sense of who you might uh, pick? Well, I'll absolutely be endorsing the, the, the Democratic nominees. You know, I'm, I'm first vice chair of the state Democratic Party. And so, um, you know, now my efforts are going to turn uh, not just to winning this Democratic primary for DeKalb County Commission Super District 6 um, in May, but after that, focusing my attention on turning out the 6th District. It's 235,000 registered voters in DeKalb County. Just in that district alone are the margins that could have made up uh, for the Stacey Abrams-Brian Kemp election. And so um, in November, I'm going to be 100 percent behind uh, turning out my district and Democrats all over Georgia, um, you know, many who I think are in my progressive network of supporters uh, to make sure that we end Mitch McConnell's graveyard of bills. Um, and the only way we can do that is by flipping these um, two Senate Audrey? Well, I was going to say um, for um, Mayor Terry, this is something that we hope, uh, I think, um, when we see Democrats, especially, who are very interested in, you know, having an impact in the state of Georgia and perhaps making the state of Georgia more competitive, when people like Mayor Terry make decisions to pull out of a race and concentrate on another race that they are far more likely to win and give support, that's a smart thing to do because it doesn't it doesn't extend the competition and it doesn't waste resources and it helps the Democratic Party do better. Hey, hey Chip, uh, let me get you into the conversation. And then, Darshan, you could probably weigh in on this as well. But uh, Republicans, uh, they're going to still label everybody who's running on the other side a socialist. But Ted we, we, Terry, we will. We will. You will. <laughs> but when Ted talks about being a progressive candidate, that's code for saying he's one of the, he was the kind of most liberal guy in that Democratic field. I think it's fair to say, and you've lost a target, Chip. Well, we've lost a target. We still have three other targets, Bill, so we're happy about that. But no, I'm, uh, um, I'm looking forward to having Mayor Ted back on Political Rewind. Uh, had an opportunity to do the show with him, I think, a couple years ago, and so we're very happy to have him back. But but um, don't lose any sleep over it. We're, we're going to have an opportunity to have some more targets. So Ted, we'll be in good shape. Ted, did being uh, labeled kind of the most liberal guy in the field have any impact in a negative way or was that was that a, a differentiation that worked in your favor uh bill look i mean i am I'm, I'm a listener uh, to your podcast i listen to it almost every day um and you know we have a saying in, in politics there's the chattering classes uh, the people who talk about it all the time i'm part of that right i talk about it all the time um i think at the end of the day when we get down to november this year 
um, it's going to be a very clear decision. Do people want to fire the person that they hired four or six years ago, or they want a new direction? Um, and I think right now the polls show that people want a new direction. If Democrats, um, you know, run a good campaign and put up uh, the right message, uh, we'll make that case for them. And it's not going to be about how far left or how far right you are. It's going to be um, uh, about, you know, the direction you want to take the country in. Darshan, are you, get, are you having problems here in TED? Uh, yeah, he sounds a little low, but I well, heard the most of what he so said. So let me let me ask you: You two go back to the days when you were young Democrats together? Yes. So uh, I am thirty-seven, so I'm old, old millennial, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but but we started out in DeKalb County. I was born and raised in DeKalb County, and so I've had an opportunity to see Ted grow and um, do some really amazing things in Clarkston, um, particularly around. Marijuana reform, um, because, of course, black and brown people are the ones that get locked up around immigration since he has such a diverse uh, population of people that he um, service. So I am very excited about 2020. Um, all the members of the legislature court are, are up for reelection. So it's just going to be interesting. Do you, um, you so we've got Sarah Amico left, mm-hmm. uh, Teresa Tomlinson left in the race and. Um, who am I forgetting? Awesome. John Ossoff. Oh, of course, John Ossoff. Have you picked one of those people yet uh, to back Darshan? I don't know if you've endorsed. No, I haven't. And, I st- and I, um, obviously, I, uh, Ted is one of the reasons that I'm actually in this seat. So um, I've been supportive of him. But um, but everybody in that race, um, I sort of have a background with and, and know. But again, it, my job is the chief deputy rip of the House Democratic Caucus, I have one purpose, and that is to flip the House. So my goal has been on helping um, flip the House and endorse candidates. So I'm, I am, I'm trying as much as possible to concentrate on that very focused goal as opposed to doing endorsements and things like yeah. that. Jim, has this changed the nature of the, the uh, Democratic race for uh, seat number one? Well, I mean, it eases it, it, it eases one one aspect of it, and, and that is is if if there's a possibility of of uh, of uh, avoiding a runoff, a yeah. July runoff in 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 that contest, it kind of lowers the odds somewhat. I still think you're going to have a pretty even split with 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 Ossoff, uh, Tomlinson, and Amico. Uh, it's I. Uh, it's but but you know you've got to you got to hand it to t- to 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 Tomlinson. She thinks she thinks that uh, Terry's supporters are go- worth going after. Uh, she had a, a nice little congratulatory tweet and uh, kind of kind of a a, a little bit of a a, a uh, congratulations yeah. on your next venture. Yeah, she, Ted, Ted. Among other things, I know she said what an honor it was to share the stage with you. She's uh, you know, and Tomlinson, of course, Ted has done a tremendous job sweeping up endorsements, even as maybe her fundraising isn't where she'd like it to be. She's a vacuum when it comes to getting endorsements, isn't she? Yeah, look, uh, Mayor Thomas has been um, around for uh, for a long time, and she's worked um, all over the state to help elect Democrats. Um, and, you know, look, I, I ran into her sister at the forum that Bluestein covered um, on last Sunday, um, and I ran into um, her and her sister, and her sister was very nice um, to me and said she really liked what I had to say. And I said, you know, I, I love the mayors. Um, mayors know uh, – they have a different perspective on on life, on what's going on um, on, the, on the ground at the local level, and so um, I have much respect for anyone who serves at the local office because it is it is it's difficult, um, but you have to have – uh, you know, as she would say, that gumption, um, and she definitely has plenty of it. All right. We, Ted, I really appreciate your taking a little time yeah. to uh, talk with us this morning, and yeah, uh, we you. look forward to watching you, and uh, we'd be inviting you to come on and be part of the panel here on Political Rewind. So take care, Ted. Thanks again. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. Um, let's move, before we go to a break, uh, let me throw out to the panel and start with you, Jim, as long as we're Talking about uh, Senate race, race number two, there's an interesting wrinkle that you've reported in the jolt this morning, Jim. Uh, Minority leader Bob Trammell wants to propose a bill that would, in fact, establish a primary for race number two. That's the Johnny Isaacson seat. Kemp has appointed Kelly Leffler to it. They've set it up so that there would be no primary. There will be what they call a jungle election Mm -hmm. in November where everybody runs on the same ballot and uh, a winner comes out, Republican or Democrat. But Trammell is trying to shake things up, isn't he, Galloway? Yeah, yeah. He's uh, okay. We've we've got House Bill seven fifty seven. It's 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 kind of a it's it's designed just to to, to kind of uh, 
uh, make clear that Raffen, uh, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger has the right to uh, has, has the right to set the qualifying sometime in March with with the rest of uh, the, the the slate that's running, and Trammell wants, uh, of course, like you said, it's a we've got we've got an all comers uh, special election in November. Trammell wants to put it on the on the traditional track of a May primary and the general election. It be- benefits Democrats because. Uh, it, it, it makes the chance of a runoff uh, in, in November much less likely. They've got, uh, and you know, it, it gives them a, a, a good crack at the, at the seat. Now, now the question is, who's he going to get support from? A guy, a Democrat, doesn't do that unless he's got uh, unless he's got uh, some some inkling that Republicans might join him. And Doug Collins is a former State House member, uh, uh, was a close ally of, of, of Speaker David Ralston. Uh, and he's, uh, Trammell is betting that he's got some, some helpers out there on the GOP side. And in essence, uh, you know, Governor Kemp kind of confirmed it for us last night when he told uh, Greg Bluestein, he sent word to Greg Bluestein that uh, that House Republicans better keep their mitts off that bill. <laughs> <laughs> Chip, uh, he, the governor does not want a primary that might pit Doug Collins against his choice, Kelly Leffler. He doesn't. Um, look, I've heard I've heard, heard concerns from Republicans and Democrats about a possible jungle primary. Um, the legislature has the opportunity with this bill to debate that. Um, Bob Trammell came out last week, as you said, and, and he put support with it. What party would want their their nominee to be done with elections at the beginning of November instead of January, certainly doesn't look like the governor has a whole lot of confidence that his candidate can win a primary. And so my question is, what what message does that send to the base? Look, I read Jim's article and I read Candace's quote. Candace is the spokesperson for, for the, the governor. governor. And Candace is an excellent operative and the governor is very lucky to have her. I would disagree with her assessment. I can't. I don't have it in front of me. Do you remember? But can you uh, basically, basically, basically what she said was was that uh, changing the rules midstream isn't fair. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I guess I would I would take <laughs> issue with that because isn't that what this election bill is going to do anyway? If we're going to change the law to um, to basically say you 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 don't have to have qualifying within a sixty day window of a general election, I, I would view that as changing the rules. So, in the middle Josh, of the let's explain that to everybody. So, we're going to have this November special election for mm-hmm. the Isaacson seat, according to state law. You qualify for that election, six any election, 60 days before the election day. But now Raffensperger is saying, no, 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 we're going to have qualifying for both the May primaries, the regular mm-hmm. statewide primary, and the November special election. Chip's point being, you're already changing the law. What's your problem when you say that we can't change the law? Right. Yeah. So this is my first time hearing about it. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm still trying to uh, to process it all. But um, listen, this this, this there's going to be a lot of things that I think are going to um, change that are not going to be traditional. So, you know, the argument that we're changing stuff, I mean, change <laughs> is inevitable. Right. Um, but uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to to see um, how much support, if any, you know, is going to be behind um, sort of this bill and and changing everything because elections always uh, have consequences when you start changing things. Audrey? Well, I was going to say, to follow up what Chip was saying about fairness, uh, about it not being fair to change the rules, you know, basic democratic theory and the theory that we've looked at with political parties forever is to give people a chance to voice their opinions. We have very strong partisanship today, but we actually have weak party organizations. And this was a very smart idea on the on the part of Representative Trammell. Uh, I've met him. He's a smart guy. Um, and it is beneficial because the Democratic Party in Georgia doesn't have the ability to tell people, stay out of that race, even though rationally it is the most intelligent thing for the party to do to limit the number of people in that special election. They can't. And for Republicans, to be fair to the Republican electorate out there, it is probably a fairer uh, 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 process for them to be able to voice their choice. Sure. All right. Well, let's go, yeah, let go ahead, add, if, I could add, if I could add one more thing, Bill. The, the, the one advantage that Kelly Loeffler has in, this, in the contest, as it, as it currently is spelled out, is that she's very rich. 
She has promised to spend twenty million dollars on this, and 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 I, I would assume more if if absolutely necessary. Uh, a, a May primary, in the traditional sense, would remove a, a good bit of that financial advantage. I think. If we're setting the over under at her spend at twenty million, I'll take the over. Yo, it's going to oh, be more than that. It's, it's mm-hmm. going to have to be. It's going to have to. All right. It's going to be fun to watch all this unfold. Uh, Let's do this. Let's get our first break of the show out of the way right now. Uh, We'll come back. We just have way too much to talk about. So just settle in. After the break, we'll keep going. This is Political Rewind. Hi, this is David Green from NPR News. You know, there comes a time when you've just got to let go of that old vehicle. Maybe it has lots of great memories, but it's also maybe just taking up space. And selling it can be such a hassle. So here's one thought. Let this station take that vehicle off your hands. Proceeds from the sale benefit this station, and you could get a tax break. So call today. Call 877-GPB-1-CAR or go to gpb.org cars. Support for GPB programs comes from our listeners and Georgia Power, whose employees are passionately committed to giving back to the communities they serve, which helps create a different kind of energy. Learn more at georgiapower.com community. And Georgia Southern University, offering hands-on preparation for high-demand careers in engineering, construction management, healthcare, manufacturing, education, and IT. More at georgiasouthern.edu. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Uh, Professor Audrey Haynes, Chip Lake, Darshan Kendrick, Jim Galloway from his home out there in the faraway territory of West Cobb County (laughs) joining us for uh, the show today. Um, Let's talk, if we can, Jim, just for a couple minutes, um, because there's there's a lot of data to plunge into, and we're really not going to be able to go into it in great detail. But a team at, at the AJC had, uh, has done an analysis of the canceled votes that um, uh, what was it, some, the, the, the purge list, the, the purge, purge list. list. And I thought <laughs> it came to some interesting conclusions. We can go through a lot of data, but one of the most interesting things I thought that, w- that they found was while, and Darshan, I want to get your thoughts on this, that while we have talked about voter suppression in this state, Fair fight action, largely in the basis that disin- that voters, African Americans, are being disenfranchised uh, by voter purges. It turns out the analysis that your team did says that it is white voters and younger voters who are being disenfranchised or being canceled, whose registrations are being canceled at a higher rate. I found that somewhat surprising. Maybe I shouldn't have. No, I, I think it, it, it kind of makes sense when you when when you uh, realize that younger people are probably more apt to change their addresses. They're they they are more apt, less less likely to own a home, more likely to be shifting from apartment to apartment or from job to job, which mandates the uh, change of address. So that that kind of makes sense. I will tell you the one, the real eye opener that I thought was 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 important is in in uh, in county in Georgia counties where there are fewer voters you had mm. you had Ch- Chattahoochee County and it, which lost in in the purge lost 16 percent of its 3610 yeah. voters that's a lot of that's that's a lot of a lot of influence right there yeah um Darshan, let me come to you I want I will go through some of the other data that stu- stood out of, of for me too but um what does this say to you? About concerns, especially in the African American community, that that registration cancellations are in fact designed to suppress the African American vote. Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't want to see anybody's vote purge, no matter your geographic location, age, any of that political affiliation. Um, but I think you know when we're talking about um, purges, I'm assuming that this um, it, analysis um, divided purging. Uh, which is very different from, you know, sort of uh, sending in an absentee ballot yes. and again. So sure. so I'm not sure that um, overall to say that African-Americans were not disproportionately affected by the whole sort of voting scheme is is accurate. Um, not ha- having right. taken into those account, those other things. But I, but I, I do think um, 
that th- that this does tell us that there might be um, sort of a considered a concerted effort um, to purge votes in general. And um, just because the African-American community wasn't particularly highlighted in this one, um, w- what we see is that it's statistically they're, they're still being purged at a good rate. Audrey, I know you haven't had a chance to really get deep into these figures, which is something you like to do, but what's your initial thought? Well, you know, just a couple of things from, you know, the political science and, uh, you know, sort of public administration. We use the word purge, and purge means so many things to people. It's become sort of negatively um, connected. But, you know, voter rolls are cleaned up. Right. They're cleaned up and they have to be cleaned up because if you don't clean them up, then you create another problem where you have massive amounts of of information and data that may not be appropriate. Even California, one of the most liberal places in the state, they do routinized cleanup of their voter ballots. But what I would say is it's required by the feds. It, it, yes, it is required. It's Which a requirement. doesn't make it right. Just um, it's required. right. Well, but, <laughs> but if I move to another state. And I'm taking my vote with me to another state. There's no reason for the state of Georgia to maintain me in the rolls. Now, that is totally different from doing anything related to real voter suppression. And what I was going to say is it is very intelligent for everyone who votes to always be diligent in watching how any administration takes on uh cleaning up their voter rolls because there can be something systematic that happens. And they don't always think about how people write their names, you know, whether they don't are are not getting accurate information from the U.S. postal system, which is where they get a lot of their information from. So that's okay, And that's why we have groups like, you know, um, fair fight, fair fight Mm -hmm. out there. And when you have that kind of scrutiny, institutions of government are going to do a better job with those. We hope. Um, yeah. Chip, the uh, Darshan makes a really good point, and that is that uh, canceling registrations based in many cases, in fact, I think more than half of the registrations that were canceled in this round were because people had uh, moved more than any other reason. That was, But she makes a, f- a fair point in saying there's a larger ecosystem that, that um, um, many uh, believe is is designed to suppress a vote in certain communities that might be tending to vote Democratic. Yeah, look, all states at certain intervals um, have to clean up their voter rolls. I'll give you an example. Since the last presidential election, both my father and my father-in-law have passed. And so during the last purge, they were taken off the voter rolls, and they should have been because they're deceased voters and they can't vote again. And so I'm not surprised to hear... Um, on based upon Jim's analysis and Jim's comments that and in, in, in looking at it marks kind of the data that I've been looking at too that a lot of these voters that have been quote unquote cleaned up are white voters or younger voters younger voters as Jim said are very very transient and um, and so I, I, I don't see any evidence that or I haven't seen any evidence thus far that anything that we've got that we have going on in Georgia is anything different than the rest of the country has going Jim, on yeah the the, the, the most contra Controversial part about uh, cleaning up these voters' rolls is is uh, Georgia's policy of of taking of, of use it or lose it. Yeah. If you don't mm-hmm. vote in a certain right. number of, of elections, then then uh, they will toss you out. And, and it's it's interesting. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> Democrats put a different emphasis on voting than Republicans do. You know, to 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 the Republican argument is that the the system must have its integrity, even even at the cost of 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 uh, some voters perhaps losing their their uh, their their right to vote. I've always thought that you know, if if to, uh, a good way to measure something uh, something like use it or lose it is to apply it to something like concealed carry, and to see see if 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 concealed carry permit holders were, were, were sent a postcard and their their license were, was revoked if they didn't send that postcard back, would there be an uprising? Don't right. give me any ideas, Doug. <laughs> Audrey, you want to get the last word on this part of the show in? Well, voting is very important. As a political scientist, it is the, uh, the, the you know, base of what democracy is all about. I was just going to point out that uh, he mentioned that uh, the places that with the fewest voters were lurging, uh, losing large percentages, that goes along to a lot of um, problems in the economy in rural areas. Those people are moving. I mean, in fact, we've talked about there is a flight of young people um, uh, into urban areas now, uh, a concentration of loss of votes in there. And that that's actually not, who is that bad for, you know, losing those rural voters, if you think about it a little mm-hmm. bit more. 
All right. Um, you know what? We're going to have we have a lot of national news we want to get to in a couple minutes. But Darshan, I didn't uh, uh, ask you about this before the show. But but I think it's it's important while we're talking state news. You're now starting the second week of the session, and I know you've got to leave mm-hmm. a little early because you've got to be down there before they lock the doors <laughs> of the house <laughs> yeah, for the morning right. devotional. Uh, what are you? What are the issues that you are really watching most carefully this session, and what what do you want to accomplish this session? Uh, well, the number one thing is the budget, the budget, and the budget. Um, <laughs> so you know, as Democrats, and and personally, I'll be watching where those cuts are because I believe a checkbook, anybody's checkbook, shows where their priorities are. So I'll be looking at um, you know some of the th- proposals and things that end up coming out because we have one constitutional duty, and it is to pass the budget, and we can all go home in theory. Um, but I'm also um, looking at um, you know things that are going to affect redistricting and, and reapportionment because. Now would be the time to make those little tweaks um, and see if anything's get get snuck in. Um, but of course, healthcare, um, criminal justice reform. There's a series of um, things that are going down there to try to continue the legacy of former governor Deal. And at his, the and same time, that the governor seems to be wanting to roll back some of the reforms that that uh, Nathan Deal put in place. Yeah, un- unfortunately, and of course, I sit as the ranking Democrat on our criminal law uh, committee, so uh, I'll be definitely taking a, a close attention to that. Um, I know. Know, there's a proposal in the budget to cut mental health services, which is directly related to our jails and our criminal justice system. Um, so those are some of the things that I'll be uh, be watching, and I'll be proposing some things on cybersecurity and on uh, marijuana okay. reform. You know, Chip uh, Darshan talks about the budget, and uh, the story popped up on the front page of the AJC uh, today, in which uh, Terry England, mm-hmm. head of the House Appropriations Committee, an important guy, and a couple other rural. Uh, legislators, Republicans, uh, are pushing back. They're concerned as we know there's going to be a fight between House Republicans and the governor over some of the budget cuts. But, you know, the focus now in some of these folks about what how they think the budget cuts might hurt rural Georgia, especially sure. health care delivery, Terry England points out um, and other concerns. Uh, James Beverly of Macon, who's on that Appropriations Committee, is quoted as saying rural Georgia is going to feel the pain of this. Rural Georgia is going to get killed. That's his quote. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit uh, when I was on the show yeah. like a week and a half ago. I mean, and Darshan's right. The budget's going to be what everybody watches this year. Um, last year, it was the first session of a first-term governor whose party controlled the legislature. And so um, you're, you're, you're going to run into just different dynamics in the second year. The governor has every right to submit a budget to the legislature that he believes is the best budget possible. And the legislature has every right to, to uh, scrutinize that budget and determine what they believe should be legislative priorities. So... It really is a it really is a, 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 a civics lesson in uh, in balance of power at the state level, unlike we see at the federal. You know, level. Jim, I, Chip just said it in a way that opened my eyes for the first time. The governor can demand these budget cuts. That doesn't mean the legislature has to go <laughs> along with them. They can fight it out, and the governor, in the long run, is the guy who has the pen to sign the budget. But Chip's quite right. This is a this is a co-shared power uh, situation. Uh, no, it's more than that. It's a co-co-shared because you've got to work the Senate in there, <laughs> that's too. That's right. That's right. Yeah, because they, they, they've, they've got a say. So although traditionally the Senate is more likely uh, to be the place where, where the governor rec- recoups uh, losses that he, that, he, that he has in the House. Yeah. Audrey, have you been surprised uh, to see the pushback that uh, the House leaders have given to uh, Governor Kemp over some of these budget problems? Uh, not really. And I'd like to uh, to give Chip a, a, a good score <laughs> on that civics lesson. Um, Terry England came to class uh, last mm. semester as well and gave a, a very good talk on, on budgeting and what mm-hmm. he does. And the thing that um, – most of the students got from that. It was this sincere focus on how important the budget was and that it's not always about politics. It's mm-hmm. about serving the state of Georgia. So we're going to see some discussion. We're going to see some class. Uh, and remember, too, I mean, who is Terry England good friends with? Nathan Deal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, protecting some of those those programs may be something that is valuable to him. And so, others. so on the other hand, uh, and Darshan, after this, I know we're going to let you go. We'll take a break and let you get downtown. But by the way, I introduce this by saying I'm watching the TV monitors up here. The market is down 500 points at the start of trading. 
out of apparently fears of the spread of the coronavirus. So given that, Darshan, <laughs> right now there can be a lot of debating over whether Kemp is asking for too much back. But if the, if the, if the state economy does go into a recession, if it does start hurting, he's going to look like a prophet Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, you don't want to go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's just so much hanging hang, hanging uh, you know in the air. And I was going to ask Chip because um, it's my understanding that the governor's office you know gets analysis and they actually set the amount, but we're responsible for actually allocation. So it'd be good to get some some clarity offline uh, about that. All right, you have to get downtown. I do, and I want to let you do that. So before you do, we're going to take a break and let you go. But thank you for uh, coming in, and we look forward to having you back uh, during the session when you can and uh, in the months afterwards. Thank okay, you. Okay, thank you so much. Representative Darshan Kendrick. Let's get a break in. We'll be back with more on Political Rewind. A new novel unleashes a firestorm about who gets to write about the migrant Latino experience and the realities in Mexico. The author of American Dirt bagged a seven-figure deal for her book, she identifies as white with Latina heritage. I'm Todd Zwillick. Who gets to tell these stories? That's next time on 1A. Join us for 1A this morning at 10 right here on GPB. You can also listen live online at gpbnews.org. Support for GPB comes from our monthly sustainers and Columbus's Springer Opera House presenting Fences, August Wilson's Pulitzer Prize-winning play of the African-American experience, January 23rd through February 2nd. Tickets and info for Fences at springeroperahouse.org. And Cigna, urging people to take control of stress by having a plan, a period of time to unwind, a location to de-stress, an activity to enjoy, and a name of somebody to talk to. Cigna, together all the way. Learn more at cigna.com slash take control. So uh, yesterday I sent out I sent out a note uh, the day before the show to all of the panelists who are going to be on to say, here's some things I hope we can talk about. And they often give me feedback on what they want to talk about. So it's interesting, Jim, that yesterday afternoon I sent out a note and I said, I guess we should at least spend a few minutes talking about the resumption of the impeachment trial this afternoon. NPR will carry NPR's coverage of that. The, the, uh, def- the defense team for the president starts at 1 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, and, Jim, I said that uh, we ought to talk about what we think the odds are that uh, they're going to uh, have a vote that four senators at least will come across the aisle and say, yes, we should have witnesses. Then what happens? We get this Bolton story that pages of his book have been leaked, or draft pages of the book have been leaked, in which he says, yep, Trump told me to withhold the money until uh, they get an agreement on the investigation of Biden, the Bidens. It's actually, it's it's, it's a little more serious than that, uh, because what happened was that Bolton submitted the manuscript to the White House, to the National Security Council and the White House back in December. Back in December. So, so, so since then, Donald Trump has known what John Bolton is going to say or would, would, would say if, 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 he, if he were called. Uh, that's, that's, that's some serious timing. But what it, what it does is, you know, I, I, I keep going back to the, the example of the Clinton impeachment. We had, uh, you know, you had all this fact-finding at the front end. And then it went through the process, and yes, it and, and, and a democratically controlled Senate did acquit Bill Clinton, uh, and but it it ended there because we knew everything by then. Mm-hmm. There, was, there wasn't there was very very little that knew that came out after that. With this situation, with with uh, and and right now, I, I still don't see Republicans bending on the on the issue of witnesses. What they're gambling they're gambling on. On on on, a bil- on their ability to control the message after the acquittal. Yeah, and, J- and 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 what this Bolton book shows is that that may not be possible. Yeah, Audrey, uh, Jim points out something very important. There, the New York Times, of course, is not revealing how they were given access to these draft pages from the Bolton book, but there is speculation that it may have been the White people in the White House who leaked these pages <clears throat> in an effort to make sure that Bolton's testimony is suppressed. The White House, beyond that, 
has the power, the national security team does, to deny Bolton even the right to publish this book if they say he's violating uh, uh, state security secrets that, you know, all that sort of thing. It's an astonishing moment. It is an astonishing moment, and it's out there. But as I have heard from people that um, I've had some interactions with, uh, on the other side, uh, it doesn't mean anything. We can deny it until he is brought in and he says something like that under oath. You know, I mean, this this ability to deny and to continue to deny, and we're going to see some of that today. Um, but the lines, it's in the thing that's most interesting to me is everybody is, you know, knowledgeable about the fact that it is not likely that they will get the votes to um, convict President Trump. Acquittal is is out there. The can the the senators who are potentially likely to vote for witnesses, McConnell is out there working very hard to make sure they don't right. because he wants to maintain the Senate. The interesting thing is, is potentially it could backfire. It could be a issue in the campaign if they lose that actually helps Democrats. And the Senate is potentially up. They need four senators, you know, four senators if they win the presidency, five if they lose it. That's all. And they have enough of those potential uh, 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 Senate seats up for grabs. So this this lack of a fair Senate when uh, trial could be something that hurts them in the long run. So no one really knows. I would put that out there. Chip, um, we can't be mind readers, but why don't you try it anyway? You're Doug Collins. Uh, you've been out there on the front lines being a vociferous, mm-hmm. passionate defender of the president as recently as this weekend on Fox News. Kelly Leffler has been sending out messages on various social media platforms, posting videos sh- saying, end this trial. Uh, do, you, do you believe that David Perdue, same thing. Is there any reason to think that they woke up to the news of this Bolton thing and are thinking to themselves, how does this, where do I stand with Georgia voters right now because of this? No, I don't think so. I don't think there's a whole lot new there with the, with the Bolton information. I think you know, we've all known that John Bolton has had a problem with Mick Mulvaney. He's had a problem with Mike Pompeo. Um, and, and as Audra said, um, there are 53, maybe 54 votes for acquittal. Doug Jones is the is the one in Alabama who we don't know about. Right. There might be two Republicans who are four witnesses. But if you call witnesses, why not call? Then, then the Democrats are going to be put in a position of saying, well, we want these witnesses, but you can't call Hunter Biden. I, I don't think they're I think this is much ado about nothing. I think Kevin Raleigh called it, the AGC editor, on Political Rewind a week and a half ago by saying, by the time this is over, this whole Bolton, Bolton situation is going to be about as All right, so, so, but Jim... Uh, given what what uh, Chip is saying, fine. But but Audrey makes an awfully important point here. This could this is we're talking now about 2020 election cycle more than we are about what happens in the Senate in the next week or so. Right, and 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 and, and <laughs> what we're going to continue to see today are uh, Republicans doing the same thing the Democrats did last week. Yes, they're pitching their 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 story to to 100 senators, but they're really, really talking to, to the U.S. audience as a whole, yeah. I think. Yeah. Audrey, quick point on this, and then we'll move on to, to another subject. But I watched the Democrats this week, the, the Friday, mm-hmm. the closing statements, Adam Schiff, uh, Jerry Nadler. Um, I, if, you know, they seem to have put on a methodical case, mm-hmm. and then they... they attack their own jury. <laughs> I mean, if you were a criminal <laughs> defense lawyer, I don't think you would say to the jury some of the things that an Adam Schiff or a Jerry Nadler said. Your job is to win them over, for goodness sake, not to accuse them of being complicit in the crime, whatever. I just, I think it says something about the passions that are running so high for one thing and then the other. What Galloway just said, this isn't about getting the jury to convict this is playing to the voter. Well, and we're going to see that this week. We're going to see sort of the preview. It, this is not really a, a traditional court of law. There's no one out there shouting object. You know, yeah. John Roberts is not going out there and saying, well, that's actually not true. You can't say that. You know, it's a lot of political speech. You know, they did make a case. And a lot of Republicans who are watching said, you know, this was well done. Wait till it's our turn. But I will tell you this. I looked up some data. People are watching. 
you know, on on all of the networks, um, the number of people who are watching this impeachment is actually higher than watched Bill Clinton. And we did have all the details. We had I would use the term TMI regarding the Clinton. We knew every intimate detail of it. And in the end, uh, I think people, especially independents, we might see some movement there. And they're going to have clips. They're going to have ads. They're going to use this in the election. Yeah. A strategist would say, yeah. I mean, I I think people are watching, but I think most most of the people that are watching are fans and they're not spectators. Except for the independents. They've made up their mind. and, And I think one of the things that, that Donald Trump, like him or hate him, one of the things that he has done in this political environment is he's made general elections what primary elections used to be in their base turnout elections. Oh, that's so really that's what this process is All about. Right. So uh, my last comment, and we'll move on. I thought it was interesting to watch Saturday when the defense uh, team uh, uh, stepped up to the plate. Uh, a lot of people thought they were just going to continue the kind of angry rhetoric that we heard from Republicans in the House Intelligence and Judiciary Committees. In fact, they presented their version of a legal argument and, and I think won some points for conducting themselves with a, with a legalistic argument, whether you agree with it or not. So we'll see what they do starting today again, 1 o'clock this afternoon. Real quick, go ahead. They won points for going only two hours on a Saturday. That's exactly <laughs> so right. So that all of those um, presidential candidates could get their butts back That's to right. Iowa. Well, Professor Audrey Haynes, speaking of <laughs> Iowa— what the heck? I asked this question last week. You weren't here to answer it. <laughs> we now have polling, uh, starting with the New York Times, Siena College poll, every other poll, basically, ABC, Washington Post, all of them coming in, showing that Bernie Sanders has had this big surge in Iowa. So just looking at New York Times, Siena College poll from late last week, Sanders at 25 percent, Buttigieg is at 18 Biden at 17, Warren at 15, and then they fall off, Klobuchar down to 8%. So what's interesting, Audrey, about this is what it tells us is that the moderates are eating each other alive if this poll is to be believed that Buttigieg, Biden, and even Klobuchar down at 8%, they just combined have far more people saying they're going to caucus for them than Sanders does. But it shows us that that moderate lane is hurting people and Sanders is benefiting Warren not so much. Well, and that happens that, you know, that is something, uh, you know, sometimes it's resolved early on, but we are in a new um, a, a new decade, especially with being able to raise money and raise it in small amounts very quickly. So, we're, we're seeing some of that happen. And, and as I was telling you before um, the show started, Sanders has a bit of an advantage because he's been there before. The most important thing that you can do in Iowa is get precinct uh, captains for your uh, your uh, mobilization efforts who are knowledgeable. He has those people who are experienced to have loyal people who will show up. Um, but I think it's going to be interesting because most of the people in Iowa actually like multiple candidates and they haven't made up their mind. And the thing that is very important to them is electability. That's why we see Klobuchar still mm-hmm. hanging on in there. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens when Iowa actually, you know, occurs that first vote. A lot of people don't know how it works. You know, you you have sections of a room that you stand in and you stand in there for long periods of time. It takes a lot of effort. I was there in 2008. I saw a woman on oxygen being pushed by her octogenarian husband to get into the gym where they were conducting this. Kids were running around. People had picnic baskets. And then then you see all the confusion start where they do the first alignment. You go to your space. They do the head counts. Then they take a 30-minute break where people can come and pick off people. You're, you have to have 15%, 15% of the people in the caucus yes. or else your candidate is eliminated from that caucus. Yes. There's a second vote, yeah. whereas you say people who were in part of that losing group can be persuaded to go to the corner of another candidate. But here's, okay, so Jim, given given what I just tried, I tried to say, and the, actually the Times poll says it much more specifically and better than I do, given that Bernie Sanders... One of the most liberal guys in the field is winning, according to the New York Times poll. If you though then ask, uh, which kind of Democrat are you more likely to support? The Times found 55 percent said they want a candidate who's more moderate than most Democrats. And only 38 percent said they want a, a candidate more liberal than most Democrats. 
proof that the moderates are picking each other off. Right, right. And, and you know, and, and a couple of things. Number one, I think Chip was making a good point, and I think it applies in, in, in Iowa, is, is that the middle is, is, is shrinking. So there's less, less ground to fight over. I would also point, point you to, to New Hampshire, where Bernie Sanders yeah. is doing very well. Yep. And that, that means he could have a, easily come, come out of mid-February with a one-two punch. Yeah, it's, it's, it really is moving in his direction, um, despite the fact, Chip, that uh, Elizabeth Warren this weekend won the endorsement of the Des Moines Register. Uh, Which is a good, good break for Bernie because not too many candidates that win that endorsement end up winning the caucuses. <laughs> a lot of them go on to be the nominee of their respective parties, but over the last 10, 14 years, they haven't had a great track record at picking the caucus 538 um, says uh, the, Des Moines, the Des Moines Register poll, based on their number crunching, is wor- I mean endorsement, is worth about four points. You don't buy that. I don't do buy you? that because I, I think any poll, any poll uh, on first of all, it's very difficult to poll a caucus. Yeah. Secondly, uh, as opposed to a primary. Secondly, any poll that polls a caucus, you're going to have a percentage of the electorate that's undecided or refuses to answer, and those get spread amongst all the candidates. So it's difficult to determine how that four percent gets generated. You know. Oh, and I'm going to say, ahead. remember, you get it's different now. I mean, it used to be Iowa came first. You got momentum. People sent in their checks. Remember what checks were? That's right. And then, you know, you get to New Hampshire and the Bill Moment. It's a different it environment now. And, you know, candidates know that. That's why Bloomberg is out there spending money in other races. And Tom Steyer, by the way, is spending a heck of a lot of money in South Carolina. He yep. wants to take the wind yeah. out of uh, Biden's uh black vote. Mm -hmm. So it'll be really interesting to see. This is going to be more dynamic. And if Sanders wins Iowa or New Hampshire, that is not going to make 100 percent of a difference in the rest of the campaign. Galloway, you want to know who got the biggest jump after the Des Moines Register uh, endorsement? Tell me, tell me. 1988. Democrat Paul Simon from Illinois, senator from my home state. Paul Simon was at 17 percent before the Des Moines Register endorsement. He went to 27 percent. He gained 10 points uh, after the Des Moines uh, uh, Register uh, endorsement. He did not become president of the United <laughs> it States. Was, it was the bow tie, I remember. <laughs> it, was, it was a great bow tie. Real quick, Audrey, we're so running out of time. One thing, too, to say, um, typically when we look at New Hampshire, there is um, there is also this advantage of being in the region. So another predictor for Sanders is he's from yeah, that area. That's right. You know, so people know who he is, and, and you're going to expect that he does better, just like, you know, Warren as well. So they have a bit more of an advantage than right. those others. You've got about 10 seconds, you, Audrey, and then you, Jim. Uh, it is fascinating. The Manchester Union leader this weekend uh, endorsed Amy Klobuchar. So, Jim, the Des Moines Register, the New Hampshire, uh, Manchester Union leader, both endorsing women for the Democratic nomination. That in itself is really tells us something about the times we're living in today. I, I would agree with you. I would agree with you. And you have to wonder if, if that kind of backs up uh, Kemp's decision to pick uh, Kelly Leffler. Ah, Audrey, real quick. Jim just brought it home. You know, this may 2020 may be another election where women play a very significant role as voters and candidates. That's it. We are completely out of time. I have just enough time to tell you that tomorrow morning at nine o'clock, Steve Coonan and Derek Schiller, uh, owner of the uh, president of the uh, Braves and president of Hawks are going to come talk to us about sports betting. We'll talk about that tomorrow at nine. See you then.